1: I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to 5th and Mission. Most San Francisco neighborhoods look pretty empty these days, but not the Tenderloin. There are 300 tents there, often squeezed together and filling sidewalks, making it hard for pedestrians to get through. Jose Ramirez, executive director of St. Anthony's, a longtime service provider in the Tenderloin, believes City Hall needs to get more homeless people into hotel rooms for the health and safety of everybody in the long-neglected neighborhood. Jose Ramirez, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, Helen.
1: So I know St. Anthony's is busier than ever. Can you tell me about what services you're continuing to provide during the coronavirus pandemic and how many people are using them?
2: Yeah, well, it's been a uh, an intense time with... Uh... You know, the transition now, shelter in place, and the coronavirus pandemic obviously uh, impacting our community and our organization. But we've done a great job at adapting and continuing to provide all our essential services that we were providing prior to the pandemic, uh, just in a modified fashion. Um, We are continuing to provide uh, hot meals daily. Uh, We also have our resource team providing case management resource services curbside. Uh, We have our tech lab that's operational throughout the week as well curbside. Our clinic, which is also the only um, pediatric clinic in the Tenderloin, continues to operate uh, and take care of primary care needs and do um, uh, some telehealth uh, follow-up and connection with our patients. And we also continue, just wrapped up our winter shelter, um, which we you know we were scheduled to go till March 31st. We extended uh, to try to buy some time and get them placed. Uh, we did that ourselves and placed them in hotels. And we continue to move forward. You know, uh, busy time for us. We're used to putting out about 2,000 meals a day prior to uh, the pandemic. Now we're doing up to 3,500 meals a day. Um, Wow. Keeping pace, but adapting and innovating. And our our team's just been really uh, resilient through this time.
1: And I know the Tenderloin has, of course, been considered a containment zone for San Francisco for a long time, and it seems like that is more true than ever. Um, can you describe what it's like to be in the Tenderloin right now, what you're seeing, and whether you think that shelter-in-place is working in that neighborhood or not?
2: Yeah, well, you know, this is the Tenderloin is a community that was unfortunately uh, well underserved prior to the pandemic, uh, continues to be underserved during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, if you walk through the Tenderloin um, you know at any given time these past few weeks you wouldn't know there was a shelter in place ordinance. Uh, no fault to the homeless community, but you know those who are homeless don't have the privilege to shelter in place safely. Uh, many are you know confined to their tents, sometimes more than one people person to the tent. Um, there's still a lack of hand washing stations, hygiene uh, access, restrooms. Uh, so it's a it's a challenging time because the the, the tenderloin is quite diverse. Well while, while we do have a large homeless community present here. There's also, it's very densely populated with families, uh, seniors, and these are all the folks that we're seeing daily, you know, not just those who are homeless, but also those who are mm-hmm. housed that are struggling during this time. Mm-hmm.
1: And I know that outreach workers are telling homeless people living in tents to space them six feet apart, but I was just there this morning and that's clearly not happening. Um, do you, what do you think is going on there? Like some sidewalks are so full, it would be hard to walk down them safely um, and keep your social distance from other people.
2: Sure, sure. I mean, it's almost nearly impossible to uh, social distance safely within the tenderloin. Um, You know, with with tents, you'll see a given amount of tents on one particular block. I saw about 17 tents on one block uh, the other day. It's difficult. You know, some folks don't even have tents. You know, and we're talking about some of our most vulnerable who are still underserved, um, who don't have access to a safe space uh, during this pandemic. And it's unfortunate because there are, you know, our high-risk population folks, a lot of our seniors, um, 50 and up, who are are high-risk, who are continuing to remain unhoused in this community. And I think it definitely needs to be a priority moving forward.
1: Yeah, And of course, the neighborhood's also home to more children per capita than any other neighborhood in San Francisco, as well as a lot of seniors, immigrants, and um, other people who now are stuck inside their little homes, often in SRO hotels. And um, I'm hearing that some children haven't been able to leave there little rooms because their parents don't feel that it's safe for them to walk on such crowded sidewalks. Yeah. Are you hearing anything like that? Yeah, well? no,
2: you're, you're right on it with that. I mean, I think that's one of the, the things people forget that this is one of the most densely populated areas for families is the Tenderloin. And so it's a very diverse community. Um, and, you know, it's it's really one of the things that we've always pushed uh, with our safety team is, is kind of this concept of shared space. And it gets a little tougher to do uh, during a global pandemic um, when there's limited resources uh, and options for folks to to distance safely and provide safe passage and, you know, street, walk, street uh, sidewalks that still aren't being cleaned properly daily. So um, those are things we're continuing to advocate for, and we're here present seven days a week, and I'm just fortunate that we can be here because um, we have an amazing team that's really dedicated to the work we do, and if we weren't here, I'm not sure who would continue to serve them. You know, there's a lot of folks and organizations that unfortunately have to ramp down. We're one of the few that have actually ramped up.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's another point is that other that places that homeless people used to be able to go during the day to use bathrooms or rest like the main library or um, the Gubbio project at St. Boniface and other places have all shut. And so the load is falling on even more on places that are open like St. Anthony's.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And even just keeping up with um, the news. Right. And what, what resources are available, what, what's still open, what's not. Um, we activated our tech lab. Um, remotely curbside a couple weeks ago so that we could even provide a simple service as um, providing charging stations for a uh, for homeless community to charge their cell phones. You know, they have no access anywhere indoors. Where are they going to charge their phone uh, to keep up with what's going on, to connect and um, access resources and understand what's uh, transpiring day-to-day with the coronavirus pandemic, which is, you know, changing rapidly day-to-day, also providing some computer access so folks can be informed, um, you know, what's, what's happening on a day-to-day basis.
1: And what's your perspective on what city hall has done or not done in terms of the tenderloin during shelter in place? Have you noticed any improvements or any additional services or is it totally lacking?
2: Well, I would say it's, it's mostly lacking at this point in terms of what we've seen. Um, it's unfortunate, um, That we're at this point now kind of moving into week five of the shelter in place ordinance with the city why do we applaud the efforts of our leaders to you know shelter in place early i think that was important um but that also comes with following through with action to serve our most vulnerable and we've heard a lot of talk about serving our most vulnerable we haven't seen a lot of action around it um, it's put us in a position to have to really uh, operate on our own and really be resilient during that time. Uh, we're not getting any resources from the city. We've had to rent our own handwashing stations, which is you know, costing us about $3,500 a month. Uh, we've had to pay for uh, permits just so we can operate and provide essential services curbside. Um, you know We didn't get any help with our winter shelter guests who we just placed uh, 22 high-risk uh, seniors in hotel rooms for the next 30 nights to keep them safe so that we can transition out of our winter shelter and keep everybody safe. Uh, So it's unfortunate. You know, I think this is really a moment for reflection, but also for advocacy. And a lot of us have been pushing uh, in that direction since this first began.
1: Right. And um, so those 22 people who were staying at your winter shelter, you you had to fundraise privately to get them into a hotel, right?
2: Yeah, we did. We did. Um, You know, it was something that it's just it was tough because we had to close our winter shelter for a couple of reasons. Well, one, we were scheduled to go to, April, to March 31st. We extended that, um, by almost a couple of weeks. And we, we were in a position where one, we, it was a safety issue. So, you know, our winter shelter, which houses up to 40, uh, guests, uh, any given night, um, you know, folks are out during the day. So if they come back in the evening, to the winter shelter, um, you know, it puts folks at risk, it puts our facility at risk, and we didn't want to jeopardize all the other essential services we were providing. Number two, um, you know, our workforce is really taking a hit. Um, We used to operate on about 80 to 100 volunteers a day. We're down to zero and on a staff-only model, including myself on the front lines, packing and preparing meals. Um, And so it was also a workforce need and being able to activate 12 of those staff members to, to daytime service. Um, so what we did, uh, we tried to work with the city. We were told they were going to have access to the Moscone Center. Um, and then about an hour and a half later, we're told that wasn't going to happen. Uh, we didn't get any assurance that they would be expedited at some point that week. And so we decided to act on our own and do what's right and make sure that we weren't going to put our elders on the street. Um, so. We placed them. We placed them in a hotel here nearby, a safe space for 30 nights. And we came out of pocket for that. And we're continuing to fundraise and just grateful for you know the donors, foundations that have have come to to our aid and, and continue to push in that direction at least to to make sure you know we put people first and um, you know we can continue to to focus on our other essential services that are that we're continuing to provide.
1: And what happens with these 22 people after um, this 30 day? hotel reservation is up
2: yeah well we're hoping we're hoping that 30 nights buys enough time for the city to get you know their act together and begin to, to move in a direction that they could be provided with some support either prior or leading to the completion of those 30 nights. Um, what's nice is that they're only three blocks away, so our resource team and our, our caseworkers are still staying connected with them. Um, they're staying connected with their clinic, so even our elderly guests that are staying there uh, who may need like prescriptions refilled or to talk to a care provider or if they're, they're not feeling well to be able to have some support um, with being able to talk to somebody that's more accessible, so we're going to continue to work with them, uh, keep our ear to what's changing on the landscape with the city. It does seem like you know the supervisors definitely yesterday um, pushed for um, activating more rooms, about 8,250 hotel rooms, and doing that not just for positive test cases or 60 and up uh, guests, but for all our, all those in our homeless committee. Which I definitely applaud their efforts to do so. Um, and we'll continue to keep focused on what happens next. Um, you know, that's kind of the balls in the mayor's court to, to be able to sign that. And she does have the power power to veto it. You know, I hope it doesn't go that direction, but I guess, I guess we'll wait and see. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think that all homeless people should be moved into individual hotel rooms? Um, right now, the city, like you said, is concentrating on people over 60 or who have other um, chronic health conditions, which make them more vulnerable to COVID-19.
2: Sure, I think they do. I think all of those who are experiencing homelessness should be prioritized. Um, You know, they are all uh, in a high-risk situation without the privilege to be able to shelter in place like many of us can. Um, So they should all be treated with the dignity and respect that we treat all San Franciscans uh, in this moment in time. And there shouldn't be a two-pronged plan, you know, that serves the House community in one respect and the unhoused community in another respect. We should be focused on making sure everyone can be safe in the city um, because this is a unique situation with this pandemic where you know it's really about how we impact each other and how we look out for each other um, given that many can be asymptomatic and so i hope this is really a test for us and and how we reflect on on really what it means to be a community and, and i hope that um, we can prioritize all folks um, and all those experiencing homelessness uh, to be held safely during this pandemic
1: do you think that the city is learning anything any lessons about poverty inequality Um, inequity in terms of health care during the pandemic, or do you think it's kind of business as usual?
2: Well, I guess time will tell. I certainly hope so. Uh, I know we're all learning lessons as we go through this. Um, You know, uh, I know it's a challenging time for a lot of service organizations, city workers, um, just everyone in every sector. And, you know, I don't think any of us uh, anticipated uh, that at some point in our lifetimes, um, nor did many of us have a pandemic playbook to follow. So I do understand that there's a learning curve, but I hope that that's what is what's happening. But also this is where leadership's important. Um, just as leader, leadership is being exposed, I think new leaders emerge as well. And I've just been grateful for all the leaders here in my organization, other service providers that are continuing to put people first. And you know, when when we get past this pandemic, which we will, I hope that we can also understand that this is why it's important to prioritize the well-being of all San Franciscans at all times, not just during a global pandemic, um, and that we see housing as a human right. We see access to health care as a human right, uh, and really just reassess and rethink our priorities as a, as a city, as a community, as a country.
1: I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be right back with Jose Ramirez.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: I'm back with Jose Ramirez, Executive Director of St. Anthony's. Does any one client of St. Anthony's stand out to you like a particular anecdote or story you could tell about somebody who's been affected by all of this in a, in a kind of um, compelling way?
2: Yeah, I think really what pulls my heartstrings is seeing our seniors that are struggling right now. Um, you know, I spent 10 years working with our homeless community in Los Angeles in Skid Row Um, So I'm actually in my first year here serving as executive director with the St. Anthony Foundation. Um, And there's some parallels. You know, our senior population is growing in terms of those who are experiencing homelessness. And it's sad to see, because for me, I was raised to care for our elders, respect our elders, and that's no way someone should have to um, spend the latter years of their life. And so, you know, I've had conversations with some of the seniors in our community, Um, one who we helped place in the hotel, which actually was a couple it was, it was two, uh, seniors who, who had been together for many years. Um, they were concerned for their well Um, the gentleman actually, uh, had, it was suffering from lung cancer. Um, they were so grateful that we were able to get them placed safely and timely and knowing that someone's here to connect and help them through this, help navigate, you know, this, this, um, this is intense time for everybody. And, you know, I think this is an important piece, uh, to remember Heather is, you know, everybody has a story, you know, it's, easy to paint the homeless community with a broad brush and, and think that everybody's suffering from substance abuse or has mental health issues that is that is a concern for for some folks and and uh, affects you know at least half of the population but let's not forget that the majority of people that are experiencing homeless now are really a result of eviction financial hardship seniors or students who are struggling couch surfing living food insecure um, it's a very diverse landscape and i think if we can take the time to connect and understand the humanity that exists in every individual and every story. Um, that's something special that I hope we can relate to and find, um, find strength and find inspiration.
1: Right. What was your role on Skid Row? What did you do there for 10 years?
2: Yeah, I was blessed to have served as the executive director and previously as the, the chief operating officer for the St. Francis Center, which is also a Franciscan-based organization. Uh, it's kind of the St. Anthony Foundation of Los Angeles. It's a special place uh, that continues to operate through this pandemic as well. Um, just worked with some amazing people uh, and organizations, and the mayor, uh, you know, Ms. Mayor Garcetti, uh, during that time, and you know, just seeing the commitment and and the fact that we had leadership that actually, um, you know, recognized this issue and um, embraced it, you know, embraced the the challenge as its as our own. Um, you know, this is this is a systemic issue that's decades in the making, whether you're talking about Los Angeles or San Francisco or anywhere in this country. Um, and this is the moment in time that we say this is our issue. We're going to solve it. We're going to make a commitment to at least chip away at the issue, right? It, it seems a bit bold, I know, to say we're going to solve homelessness. But I think if, if we can really focus on three things, um, you know, it gives us hope. If we can focus on minimizing the number of people that experience homelessness if we can focus on the time and duration that they experience homelessness, and if we can make sure that once folks are housed, they don't go back to being homeless, you know, I think that will allow us to chip away at this at this issue and this problem. Um, but also focusing on the fact that we've reached a point in time that, it's not enough just to focus on servicing our homeless community. That is important. But we also need to focus on the reasons why people become homeless, the systemic issues that bring people to that breaking point. And that's something that's going to be a harsh reality moving forward uh, once we get through this coronavirus pandemic, how many people have been impacted economically, um, and the heavy lifting we're going to have to do as a, as a homeless service provider who serves the poor and dis- disenfranchised in this community. So,
1: Right. And I know that you're experiencing this pandemic, not only professionally, but personally as well, because your family is still living in Los Angeles and you've made the decision to be apart um, while the shelter in place rules are, are in effect. Can you explain um, why why you made that decision and how that's going for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking, Heather. Um, you know, it was a tough time for me. I'm going on 10 days that I haven't been home to see my family and um you know, my first year as executive director here, I didn't imagine taking on a global pandemic, but, you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so last weekend I had to have a heart-to-heart with my wife. And it's tough because we, you know, I started in June. Um, we were hoping by the end of the summer uh, to to get my family out here. But obviously some of the sticker shock of housing out here uh, you know, forced, <laughs> oh, yeah. forced us to be a little more patient with the process and, and think that through. And we were like thinking, well, okay, maybe by the springtime this year. Um, and then the coronavirus uh, pandemic hit, so that's kind of put all that on hold. And so I went from at least going home every weekend to see my family to having a, a heart-to-heart with my wife last weekend. Um, and so it, it, we thought it was best that I didn't come back until shelter-in-place is lifted or that I'm able to test, which we still haven't had the ability to do for our workforce or myself. Uh, my wife's type 1 diabetic. Both my kids have compromised respiratory systems. I would be devastated if if I came home and, you know, I got them sick and so um that was, you know, my wife's my rock and she is, you know, a, a, an essential service provider herself as a social worker for the county in LA. Um we both are very committed to our community and our family, but this was a moment where I needed to decide whether I was going to be home 100% of the time or I was going to be in San Francisco 100% of the time. And so, um you know, in this moment of time this is where leadership's important and so I thank my wife for giving me the support. Uh, and allowing me to to be here where I need to be now. I'm on the front lines with my team seven days a week, uh, continuing to serve. And this is where leadership is important to, to model um, the work that needs to be done and the commitment that I must continue uh, to serve this community, to serve our community here in the Tenderloin.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing for San Francisco. We appreciate that.
2: Thank
1: you. Um, so, that is the end of our serious questions. And you said you might be up for our lightning round.
2: Yeah, that sounds like fun. Uh, shoot <laughs> away. I don't know what to expect, but uh, yeah, I'll try to answer as best I can.
1: I figure we can use a smile right now, right? So. <laughs>
2: definitely, definitely. Oh, that's all. That's all. That's how we get through, you know? That's how we get through.
1: Yes. Well, I I know you're pretty new to San Francisco, so listeners will have to take that into account. Um, But I'll start with, what is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito?
2: Oh, so I've had uh, some good burritos at a few taquerias here in the Tenderloin, but I will say Mexican food-wise, I'm going to deviate from the burrito and say Gracias Madre makes the most amazing vegan pozole. And that's probably the one I missed that's not open right now.
1: <laughs> Okay. I'll have to put that on my list for when things open up. Yeah, it's again. in the
2: Mission, uh, a <laughs> great, great uh, um, plant-based um, uh, restaurant.
1: Cool. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco?
2: Ah, well, I, that's easy. The most recent one that I've seen, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I really enjoyed that. Very powerful uh, story.
1: Yes, that was great. Um Thinking back to when bars were still open, what was your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink?
2: Yeah, once upon a time. My goodness, it seems like so long ago. I know. Well, Piano Flight in the Tenderloin is amazing. I really enjoyed going there. Um, it's on Taylor and Eddy Street. Um, we had a lot. Of, I had a lot of great conversations with other uh, community-based uh, leaders. Um, great space. I love it. Miss it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're making me miss all these places. I know, I know. Yeah. What was your first concert?
2: Well, let me say, my first concert in San Francisco was at the Chase Center, and I saw The Who. But my first concert, oh, nice. yeah, and my first concert ever was—I believe I was seven, eight years old—and my dad took me to see Brenton Wood. So, okay. Yeah. What
1: was the last? What was the last book you read?
2: The last book I read, I would say, is the Mama Mentality uh, on Kobe Bryant, and I think it's. Quite fitting given oh, wow. this moment we're in, kind of getting into our own mamba mentality as we serve daily. <laughs> uh
1: huh. Yes, for sure. What is your favorite thing about the Tenderloin and your least favorite thing about the Tenderloin?
2: My favorite thing about the Tenderloin uh, are the people and the commitment in the community that I think sometimes gets overlooked. There's such a heartbeat here uh, and sense of camaraderie and love. Uh, I think we definitely model that here on the 100 block. I'd say my least favorite thing about the Tenderloin. Um, will be the fact that it continues to be underserved, you know, and I think this is the moment in time that we continue to not only lead by example with the services we provide, but by the advocacy that is important in this time for those who are most vulnerable. Mm
1: -hmm. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day?
2: Oh, Well, I definitely always make sure to call my family every day. Facetime has been fun, Uh, but I also make sure to walk around and talk to people. I mean, it's important to observe the community. You know, get a get coffee at a local coffee shop, uh, get a drink after work at a at a local bar when that was you know accessible. But also to talk to my staff and my team. Uh, We have a huge, uh, robust team of over 200 employees. Uh, Now it's down to a little closer to 100, unfortunately, and we're, we're still operating, but. Um human connection and being pr- present, I think is important, you know, in, in building relationships. Um, while I am excited to come into the, and be a part of this amazing city and lead, I also make sure to listen as much as I lead.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, you aced the lightning round, I'm impressed as a newcomer to San Francisco. <laughs> I love it. I
2: love it. Well, that was fun. I feel like <laughs> I want to do this in reverse with you at some point in time, but maybe when there's a, a safer <laughs> moment to, do to gather. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We'll meet at Piano Fight, okay? There we go. All right. Thank you so much for your time. It was nice to talk to you.
2: Yeah, it was great. Thank you, Heather. Be well. Take care. And thank you for for your advocacy and shining light on the stories that need to be told.
1: Thank you to Jose Ramirez for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.
0: Fifth Admission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com
2: pod.